Well, thank you, Judge Lewis. So let's get started. Now, you have a lot of experience as being part of the federal judiciary, ranging from having been a, a district attorney to an assistant U.S. attorney to all the way to being judge on the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Just to start off, I'm wondering what it is that drew you to that kind of public service in the first place. Well, actually, my goal when I went to law school was to become a criminal defense attorney. In particular, I wanted to become a civil rights lawyer. And that's because I grew up at a time when country was grappling with its history. While I was in law school, I was offered an opportunity to work at the Allegheny County District Attorney's Office in Pittsburgh as an intern. And I also worked at Neighborhood Legal Services in Pittsburgh. And so I was getting different kinds of experience experiences while I was in law school that were teaching me that there are different ways that we can approach participating in movement. I was offered an opportunity to work at the district attorney's office when I graduated from law school. After two and a half years, I was offered an opportunity at the U.S. attorney's office in Pittsburgh. And so I thought I will learn here how the government works and make me an even better criminal defense lawyer someday. And so my um, public service had continued for the next eight years as an assistant United States attorney, and I was just getting ready to leave that office and finally pursue my goal and my dream of becoming a criminal defense lawyer. When I got a phone call, that Arlen Specter, United States Senator from Pennsylvania, wanted to meet with me to talk about a vacancy on the United States District Court. I was very young. I was 34 years old, I think, when that call came in. I met with him, and within the next nine months or so, I was appointed to the District Court and became uh, the youngest federal judge in the United States. So that was another change in direction and it was a great honor. I then, nine months later, received a call from the White House asking me if I would accept an appointment to the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, which I turned down. I had no interest in becoming an appellate judge. But then there was a fair amount of pressure brought to bear to get me to accept that appointment. There had only been 11 individuals appointed to the uh, federal appellate courts in the history of the United States who were black. Prior to my nomination and appointment, I was the 12th African-American to become a judge on the United States Court of Appeals in this country for since the Judiciary Act of 1789. And uh, with that paucity of appointments and terrible racist history, I did feel an obligation to accept the appointment, even though I really was very happy as a district court judge. And so I served on that court for the next eight years. And that's really how my pathway in the public service arena unfolded. Well, that's remarkable. Well, whether it was your plan or not, you ended up accruing quite a bit of experience in the federal judiciary. So I'm wondering, with all that experience and all of your legal scholarship and expertise. I'm wondering, uh, how, how do you view the role of the federal judiciary in our constitutional democratic system? Uh, what role does it play and how important is it? What does it mean for us to have an independent judiciary? Well, 
put it bluntly, an independent judiciary is the crown jewel in our constitutional democracy. Never has it been more important, perhaps, than today. Because, uh, again, to be blunt, as I talk to you right now, it is the only fully functioning branch of government, in my judgment. An independent judiciary is what allows for the other two branches to observe the rule of law and stay within constitutional boundaries that ultimately determine our identity as a nation and our capacity to live up to the promise of the Declaration of Independence and the commands of the United States Constitution. Without an independent judiciary, none of that could happen. The importance of independent-minded people serving as judges who decide cases not based upon political influence or personal predilections or preconceived notions is the only way that the promise of our constitutional democracy can survive and has survived all of these years. And we must, at this time in particular, do all that we can to preserve it. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned some of what you're seeing today as the role of the federal judiciary and possible threats to it. I'm wondering, while you were serving on the bench, whether it was at the district level or at the, the appellate level, did you ever experience anything or witness anything? Or did you have any concerns about anything that you thought may have represented a threat to the independence and the integrity of the federal judiciary? Well, there are always efforts to undermine the independence of the judiciary, primarily political efforts. We have seen um, over the course of history efforts to lessen the power and the authority of judges to make certain decisions. We have seen political forces try to inject bias into the judicial system by finding judges who they think will further their political agenda and that sort of thing. But it, today, the threat is different. And it really extends beyond the federal judiciary. We are increasingly seeing efforts by legislatures and by political bodies throughout the United States to interfere with the independent judicial process of state courts. We're seeing it to a lesser degree in the federal judiciary today. But when you have, for example, in my home state of Pennsylvania, in the wake of a very important decision on gerrymandering and a finding by the highest court in the state that districts in Pennsylvania, congressional districts, were exceptionally gerrymandered, the response to that being to seek to impeach, to impeach and remove from office the justices who were in the majority in that decision. That is dangerous. That is dangerous and it is a direct threat to the independence of the judicial process. There, thus, it's a direct threat to our democracy. When at the same time or shortly thereafter you see uh, the impeachment of justices of the West Virginia Supreme Court, you see the same thing happening in Kansas and an effort in North Carolina, all 
with some with some and in some cases with extreme political overtones that is a danger now in the federal system a president gets to appoint judges and justices with the advice and consent of the senate i mean you know a president is going to appoint judges and justices that reflect the president's views and so that should not be terribly surprising and uh, but I think by and large that process has worked very well and we are seeing less of an effort to infringe upon the integrity of the judicial process in the federal system right now than we are seeing across across the country in certain state courts. However, we are also seeing um, an administration that has threatened judges. I mean the president himself has tried to undermine the integrity of the federal courts by, for well, beginning during the campaign when he attacked a judge because of his uh, ethnicity and race, claiming that he was unfit to preside over a matter in which the then candidate was involved because of his um, his ethnicity and his heritage and his race. Uh, we have seen other instances in which the president has directly sought and some of his representatives have directly sought to undermine the um, authority of the judiciary. In fact, that's happened numerous times already. The only thing that allows for the integrity of the judiciary to flourish is public confidence in the people who administer the federal judiciary. That is to say that a belief in the validity of decisions, whether or not you agree with them or not, that they are rendered by judges who are duly appointed and who are trying their best to get it right, and that any decision by a, a judge, be it a state judge or a federal judge, deserves to be obeyed. I mean, that that is a solemn pact that society makes as a part of becoming a member of the society, a citizen, or even a non-citizen. That the authority of the federal courts is derived from the public's confidence in the courts. And so when the president tries to undermine the integrity of individual judges and entire courts, uh, he's made comments about the Ninth Circuit and other courts throughout the country. That's a very dangerous thing. And it is a threat to the independence and the integrity of the judiciary. So we are seeing this, but we are also seeing the kind of pushback that we need and the recognition of the importance of our court system as being what I described at the beginning, the crown jewel of our constitutional democracy. Well, I want to go back a little bit to your experience having gone through the process of being nominated and confirmed. You mentioned that you had been uh, contacted by your home state Senator Arlen Specter, who at the time was a Republican, although he famously switched parties later in his career. And then subsequent to that, you were appointed by, if I'm not mistaken, President George H.W. Bush, also a Republican. And you went through the nomination and confirmation processes. And uh, one thing that we know from watching the most recent uh, Supreme Court nomination, but this has also been true at the lower levels of court nominations and confirmations, you're seeing a more politicized process and a more contentious process around all judicial nominations and confirmations. So I'm wondering what your experience was when you were confirmed, when you had to go before Congress to to answer questions and that whole uh, process. I'm wondering how you think it's materially changed from when you went through it to now. 
Well, it's changed considerably. I mean, my confirmation was a cakewalk compared to what we are seeing now. And it's changed because the country has become more polarized uh, politically. I have my personal view as to what the root of that polarization is, what it stems from. But it's actually been building and brewing for quite some time. So now, yes, you're absolutely right. We are seeing a, an overt politicization of a process that is really a solemn process. I mean, when you refuse to grant a hearing to a nominee to the uh, United States Supreme Court merely because the president who nominated him had about eight or nine months left, at least that's the excuse given. We know that it was for other reasons. That is really a disgrace, and it is converting a solemn responsibility into a base political act. But that is where we are. That is endemic of where we are. And so, I mean, it's endemic in the sense that it reflects the polarization that has developed over the past at least 10 years or so, and perhaps goes back even before then. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I think the country, in some respects, went crazy when we elected our first black president. I think that we are still trying to come to terms with that, some people. And the polarization just dramatically increased. And I think that it, it goes directly back to uh, the fact that a black man was elected president of the United States. And I think that we saw a dramatic tacking in a different direction in large measure based upon that. Because when I look around and I hear things and I see things now, I, and I see where things seem to be flowing from, race is a common feature and factor in all of that. And that is sad. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois said at the beginning of the 20th century that the issue of race is going to be the defining issue of the 20th century, and indeed it was, and it still is. And we are a multicultural society, and we are becoming increasingly multicultural. And there are a lot of people that are pushing back awfully hard on that, and they don't because they don't like it and they don't want to accept it. And I really think that to a large degree, that has infused our politics and our social interaction to a certain levels in a way that has contributed greatly to this polarization. We can disagree. I mean, we're always going to disagree. That's that's beautiful. That's important. That's good. That's great. You can be conservative, liberal, moderate. But this has become personal and it's become far more pitched. So it's it's like a different world from when I was up for confirmation back in 1991 and then again in 1992. At that time, there was a blanket of civility that covered all of our interaction in a way that did not give rise. I mean, there were stark disagreements and arguments and fights, but nothing like what we see right now. So that's how it's changed, in my view. So you mentioned when you were contacted initially by Senator Specter and then later by the White House that uh, you felt as though part of why you were receiving such pressure to accept the position, particularly on the Third Circuit, was because of the paucity of African-American nominees and confirmed nominees over the course of, of American history. I'm wondering if you ever felt any particular pressure because of, of having to wear that kind of legacy, and if you ever felt any political pressure because of who you are appointed by to act in a certain way or to rule in a certain way when you were on the bench. Any black professional 
I don't care whether you're a physician, a lawyer, uh, whatever you might be, any black professional knows that your competence is not presumed like it is for white folks who are equally qualified or have the same credentials and so forth. Your competence is not presumed. Racism is baked into our systems and our institutions. We are still fighting that fight. It is an internal fight. It is an external fight. It is overt. It is. It requires constant confrontation and an effort in order for us to finally overcome. We are making some progress, but we are a long way from where we need to be. And so, of course, there's always pressure uh, to perform at a particular level to um, because you know that you are not just representing your profession or whatever the effort that you have undertaken might involve and entail, but you're also being looked at as an African-American. And in my case, um, the, as I said before, the 12th since the Judiciary Act of 1789. So yeah, there was a little more pressure, um, but it's how you wear it and how you react to it and how you handle it that really truly matters. I mean, I think that you can either use it to teach people, to teach the next course in black excellence, or you can use it in a way that is not as productive, which is to just allow it to be a source of pressure. That's a difficult balance, but it's one that we all struggle with and ultimately find, I hope, some way to prevail. Absolutely. I might add that the same is true for women and the same is true for other people who represent groups that have been historically excluded from active and meaningful participation in the political, social, and economic mainstream of American life. It's not just me and it's not just Black folk. There are other groups that have to cope with the same issues that I've just talked about and feel the need to represent in a way that opens doors and uh, meets a certain standard of excellence that gets rid of those kinds of questions and concerns, we hope, in time. Absolutely. It makes total sense. And as a, um, as a member of the disability community, that's something I can absolutely relate to as well. Sure. I think you did a really comprehensive job of sort of laying out some of the issues that we're facing vis-a-vis the integrity and independence of the judiciary at both the state and federal level. So I'm wondering if you have any, any kind of ideas around practicable solutions for how we might continue to have a robust and independent federal and state judiciary and how we might maintain and preserve the sort of checks and balances and the separations of powers that are so crucial to our system of government. I do. Vote people out of office who are irrational. Vote people into office who are rational and who are, no matter what their background or their political views or their ideologies might be, are civil and are willing to reach across the aisle, compromise, and embrace the need for civility in our discourse in this country, period. Well, that makes sense. I think that's a solution we can all get behind, at least I hope so. Well, let's hope that we do get behind it on November 6th. Absolutely, absolutely. And beyond that. All right. Well, well thank you so much, Judge Lewis. I think... I'm, I'm honored that you asked me to participate in this and keep me posted. And thank you very much for taking the time. Absolutely. I, well, I look forward to keeping in touch. And, and thank you again.
Likewise. Thanks a lot, Dylan.